Wow, it's so good to be back together again. And here's a promise for you today. This is the day the Lord has made. And we're here to rejoice and to be glad in it. So we are praying God's blessing for you as you make this connection with us and with your Christ Journey family around the world today. You know, last time we were together as we began a new series, we saw that the people who experienced God in the Bible, an Old Testament prophet, a New Testament apostle, uh, knew God to be faithful. God is faithful. Would you say that with me? God is faithful, absolutely reliable, trustworthy, and true. You can count on him like the earth depends upon the sun. Science tells us that nothing is more important to us on earth than the sun. It warms our seas. It uh, stirs our atmosphere. It generates our weather patterns. It gives energy to the growing green plants that in turn then provide the oxygen and the food that we need for life. Well, the scripture knows God to be faithful like that. As sure as the sun comes up every morning, we can be confident that God's faithful compassions, his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, Lamentations 3.23. You know, Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet, wrote that. He was clinging to that truth during a, uh, an extremely difficult time and grievous time in his nation. Actually, it's a line from a song that he wrote at that time in his heartbreak about it. Yet in the midst of his pain and sorrow, he says, God is faithful. I mean, like the morning sun, we can still count on his love even in our times of deepest distress. So friend, if you are hurting, if you are sad today, I'm praying you will find comfort in that. In fact, I bet there isn't a person in our entire church family who doesn't have a testimony about God's faithfulness in a time of sorrow. And not just one, many of them, I know I do. God is faithful even in our times of sorrow. But we also saw that God is faithful in our times of challenge. So when the Apostle John looks at the final battle where spiritual warfare is being waged and Jesus Christ rides and arrives on a white horse, Revelation 19, 11, there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. As the final battle is engaged, Christ our God reveals himself to be faithful and true. That means utterly trustworthy, constant and steadfast, firm and unwavering, absolutely reliable. Now today, we see how God provides for us in our times of spiritual battle. When we face temptation and evil, forces of evil. Some people don't believe in evil. Jesus did. Jesus taught it, and Jesus fought it. From demon possession, to religious hypocrisy, to abuses of political power in the day, to theft, violence, personal betrayal, and more. Matthew tells us at the start of Jesus' ministry that he was led by the Spirit, Matthew 4.1, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then when it came to teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus said, when you pray, this is like every day, you should pray this, lead me not, lead us not 
into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. The word evil here is a general term that covers all bad things, but specifically those things which cause injury, moral and natural. Now in our culture, we tend only to use the word evil for the really bad stuff, you know? I mean, the, the uh, severely immoral and wicked stuff profoundly. And so many times we think like this, well, I may not be Mother Teresa, but at least I'm not Hitler, right? But evil doesn't mean only that which, uh, which is really, really bad. It means the everyday stuff we do that creates injury and damage. So from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible claims that this temptation to do evil, to do bad stuff that creates hurt and injury is real. Now, is that true? Do you face it? Do the people you know, the people you love, does your family, do your friends, do your enemies, do they face this kind of temptation? Do they deal with temptation in how they treat other people and how they get money and how they try to be happy, right? Have you ever been cheated? You ever been robbed? You ever been betrayed? You ever been lied about? Have you ever said or done things that you know are not right? Would the story of your life be different if those who are hurting you knew how to overcome the temptation to do wrong and the power of evil, you know it would. If, uh, if promises were kept, if lies weren't told, if crimes weren't committed, now, somebody might be thinking, yeah, if there were no such thing as evil, that would be better. Why did God, why does God allow evil to exist? Well, it may surprise you, but the Bible never says God created evil. In fact, it says he didn't. God didn't create evil, but he did create the possibility for evil to exist by creating freedom. And uh, evil entered the world when freedom was abused. That's where evil, freedom can be abused, and that's where evil came from. The abuse of freedom is one of the definitions the Bible gives to the word sin. Now, there's another word that we don't use much in our culture, sin. Sin, it means falling short. It means like missing the mark, the target. It means not measuring up to specifications in thought, attitude, word, or deed. Now, we don't like to think of ourselves that way. And yet Jesus said this, from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, <laughs> slander, pride, and foolishness, Mark 7, 21 and 22. So from Jesus' point of view, you know, we've got a problem. This problem with sin that, that soils our lives and then it affects us with evil from the inside out. And this sin problem affects all of our relationships with our family, with your parents, with your kids, with your husband, your wife, your business relationships, your neighbors, with people you don't even know. It 
it affects us. So what are we supposed to do about it? Well, you can, um, you can deny it. And you can pretend like it doesn't exist. You can act like it's not real. Live in denial. Or, here's another option. You can say, well, that's just the way I am. Deal with it. And wall up. Some people do that. Or third, you can, uh, you can blame others. Um, you ever heard this? To err is human. To blame the other guy. Even more human. I'm thinking so much of politics that we're seeing is about blaming the other guy, right? Blame, shame, defame, inflame. That likes political strategy. And yet some people live that as personal. They just find somebody else to blame for what's going on inside of them. Or here's another option. You can try to do something about it. Now that sounds more positive, doesn't it? Yeah? So we turn to self-help, to, uh, to motivate yourself with positive thinking, with positive eating, with positive exercise, and you focus on living your best life now, right? If it is to be, it is up to me. I mean, this is good as far as it goes, but it can only go as far as you take it. If it is to be, it is up to me. Uh, if I can conceive it and I can believe it, then I can achieve it. And yet, what is at the center of that equation? I am. You're the power source. You're the force behind that if it's going to happen. You know, the Bible calls that works righteousness and says it's going to disappoint you eventually and ultimately. Or, you can apply the New Testament solution. Do you know what that is? Paul, writing to the troubled church at Corinth, the one with so many problems and so many sins in that church, writes this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to men. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Did you see those three power words beating like a strong, healthy heart right in the middle of the verse? God is faithful. Would you say them with me? God is faithful. God is faithful. And, you know, we don't always see it. We don't always feel it. But God is faithful, constant, steadfast, trustworthy, and true, absolutely reliable. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted above what you are able to bear. But that's not all. Listen to this, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So not only is my faithful God helping me overcome temptation. He's also protecting me from the evil one as well. So here's the bottom line of this talk. Because God is faithful, I can triumph over temptation and the tempter. That's the series title is You Can't Lose. This is about how you can't lose when it comes to facing temptation and the tempter. How's that work? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us. It tells us three things 
about temptation that you need to know so that you can't lose. Number one, every temptation is common. Common to man. Um, in other words, it's not uncommon for you to feel seized or mugged or blindsided by temptation. Now, temptation itself is not sin, but neither is it an unusual thing. That's what Paul's wanting to say. It happens to everybody. Now, sometimes the deceiver will lie to you and try to get you isolated in your thinking, like, oh, you're all alone. You're the only one who ever has thoughts and desires like this. You're the only one who is wanting this kind of thing and feeling so strongly enticed into this place. That's a lie. Temptation is common, Paul says. So don't let the predator isolate you from the flock. This is why it is so important, as we talked about last week, to stay in fellowship with God and with one another. And James says when we're in fellowship, we should also confess our shortcomings to one another. That lets us know we're not alone. And then we pray for each other so that you may be healed. So we share our weaknesses, we share our sins, and we pray healing for each other. Here's the second item. It says, every temptation is conditioned. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That means the temptation is somehow right-sized to what you can handle. Now, as a teenager, I was part of a group taking a 50-mile hike into the mountains of New Mexico where we would camp for over a week. But the thing was, we had to carry all of our gear and supplies in and out on that trip. So you know what our leaders did? <laughs> they divided up the load among every hiker based on body weight. And every person would carry the same percentage of their own body weight in and out. Big guys would carry a larger load. Little guys would carry a smaller load. I was a little guy, so guess what? My load got right-sized to what my growth could handle at the time. That's what Paul's saying about temptation. God doesn't tempt anyone, but he keeps the tempter from tempting us beyond what our growth can handle. So believe that, not the tempter's lies. And then third, every temptation is conquerable. Conquerable. You can win. There is a way for you not to lose. God is faithful and will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This is an amazing thing. Every enticement to wrong you feel, every test that you face is conquerable. You can win over it. How? Not by your willpower alone, but by the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. This is an amazing thing. You don't have to go down to temptation, but you do have to grow up in God's faithfulness, trusting him and knowing how, which takes us to 2 Thessalonians 3. God protects you from the evil one. He strengthens you. Now, strengthen here means he gives you what it takes to stand on the inside. Do you know what rebar is? Rebar is short for reinforcing bar, 
in construction, and it refers to a steel bar or a mesh of steel wires in reinforced concrete and masonry structures that strengthens the concrete and then keep that's under tension and helps it keep cracks that form from, uh, from making the project fall apart. It provides structural strength. Paul says, our faithful God does that for us when it comes to triumphing over temptation and the tempter. He strengthens us so our cracks won't cause us to totally fail. This is such good news. And the way he strengthens us is far stronger than rebar. He comes alive in us by the presence of his Holy Spirit. When Christ comes into your life, he applies the cross and the resurrection to your soul. So your sin is covered by his blood. Your fallen self, your sinful nature is crucified with his body. And then in the risen Christ, the risen and reigning Christ now comes to be resident in your life. That's the good news. And it's why John says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, dear children, you are from God. And, uh, and you have overcome them. How? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Is that awesome? I mean, our faithful God is monitoring the situation outside and then is on the scene inside. This is great news, but it's not enough. We triumph over tempter and temptation by God's provision. That's what we just lined out. But it also requires your decision. Would you say that? Your decision, my decision, your decision, our decision to what? To access God's provision. So it's one thing to have Christ resident in your life. It's another one to make him president of your life. You've received him as savior, but now you grow to follow him as Lord. How do you do that? Well, you use your freedom of choice to rightly choose to use God's gifts in this world the way that he designed. This is one of the steps forward. He wants us living in truth. So we stop lying. He wants us growing in integrity. So we stop cheating and stealing. He wants us filled with his spirit. And instead of addicted and out of control due to alcohol or some other substance, he wants us to steward the earth to provide uh, its resources to serve human need, not exploit it for greed. He wants us experiencing sexual fulfillment in marriage. This is his design. Just as Jesus said, the creator made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This is the act of marriage. So no longer two, but now one. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. Matthew 19, four through six. And so we live toward God's ideal, aligning our lives in all these areas to God's higher creator design by his provision and by our decision. And that's how we faced him. This is part of what spiritual growth is. God has given us many good gifts, but not as ends 
in themselves. When we decide to use God's gifts of like what? Intelligence, freedom, beauty, achievement, commerce, art, sexual expression. When we use God's good gifts as an end in themselves, then we actually are committing idolatry and settling for less than what optimal. When we, uh, when we treat them simply as means to self-gratification or indulgence, then we're essentially making ourselves God. And we're saying, hey, you know what? Everything exists for me. Idolatry again, when we turn to our own way in that way, with ego, we edge God out. And then we set in force other motion. I mean, we set in motion other forces that uh, are beyond our control. Forces that cause injury and damage. Forces called evil and sin in the Bible. And God wants better than that for you. God wants more than that for you. He wants you to grow as his child in victory, to live a life of fellowship with him, with others, in forgiveness and freedom. He wants us to live a life triumphing over tempter and temptation. Now, how can that happen? Well, we rely on our faithful God. We receive forgiveness by faith. We die to self by faith. We... Uh, we live to Christ by his spirit, by faith. We choose wisely facing decisions by faith, and we do it repeatedly. That's what discipline is. A disciple's life builds faith choices into their decision-making. And you can do that too as you rely on God and as you trust him so that the choices you make as you do your training, can come to your aid when the spiritual battle is raging. Jesus overcame by following the Spirit's leadership, Matthew 4.1, and then relying on the truth of God's word to slice through the lies of the evil one and resist the devil in the time of temptation. You can do that too. And as you rely on God's provision, what's his provision? That every temptation is common, conditioned, and conquerable, and then you make the decision to trust his strength in you, then you can overcome, just as others have and are growing to do. Now, Penn and Teller, you've heard of them. They made a living off of fooling people. They, um, they're very upfront that as magicians, they have no power, no mystical uh, powers of their own. They say that they're professional deceivers. They use sleight of hand to misdirect and to entertain, but there's no real, quote, magic, close quote. In fact, Penn says that people who claim they have these powers are actually swindlers, liars, cheaters, ripoffs. Their tricks are evil and immoral. And then he says this, and I, I know how to do all of them. But there's no power. It's all trickery. It's all cleverly disguised deception that some use to manipulate. I mean, the tempter is also a deceiver with a bag of tricks, good misdirection, and, and uh, believable lies. And oh, he loves it when people believe he is overpowering. But the truth is, he's on a leash. 
And God will not let him tempt you beyond what you can overcome. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Christ is your rebar. So God lets you face temptation, not so that you get tangled up and taken down, but so that you can make Christ Lord and become an overcomer. That's what's going on. The bottom line, once again, because God is faithful, I can triumph over temptation and tempter. You can't lose. That's the point. Now, as the Union Pacific Railroad was first being constructed out west, an elaborate trestle bridge was built across a large canyon. And to test the bridge, the builder loaded a train with extra cars and uh, double the, uh, the normal payload that it would carry. And then the train was driven to the middle of that bridge uh, where it stayed for a whole day. One of the workers asked, are you trying to break this bridge? No, the builder replied. I'm trying to prove that the bridge won't break. In the same way, the temptations we face are not designed to make us sin. But as we learn to make Christ Lord, he will make us overcomers. Teachers give tests, not to fail their students, but so their students can apply what they've learned and succeed. God makes the provision when it comes to temptation. But you got to make the decision. Now, how does that work? Well, let me show you. And thank you, Pastor Ralph, for the idea behind this illustration. This bowl represents your soul. And you'll see that there is a presence already in it. The Holy Spirit, representing the Holy Spirit, his living water within you. And then these balls, they each have a temptation written on them. You'll see lie, cheat, steal, rage, lazy, lust, pride. They represent the temptations that are trying to invade our soul and influence our soul. Sometimes we face them one at a time. Sometimes we face many at the same time. So what are we supposed to do about it? How do we respond? Well, remember, you make your decision to access God's provision. You invite the Holy Spirit to fill your life with his presence as he empowers you from within and then displaces the temptations. Greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. Now, what are our takeaways today? I got three. First, you're not alone. God is with you. His presence is in you. And we are together in this. You're not facing these things alone. So stay connected to God and your community. Okay? Secondly, you can learn. You can train yourself how to recognize temptation, how to respond by relying on God's power and empowering in it. Um, so keep on learning. Listen to this lesson again and again. Commit the verses to memory so that God can use them for you. And then here's the third one, because you may stumble as you learn this. This is how we learn. But it's like riding a bike. You learn to ride a bicycle by some, I fell down. I was pedaling, I fell down. You will too. But you know what? Just because you fall down doesn't mean you're not learning. 
you get back up, you keep pedaling, and you trust the energy to grant you balance and forward move. Same thing here. We're trusting God's spirit to rise up in you, to guide your thinking, to guide your deciding, to guide your doing so that you can come to a point when you face temptation, the first thing the Holy Spirit will tell you is you can win. You got this. You can't lose if you trust and rely on your faithful God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for the provision you have made for us in your word, by your spirit. You've given us truth to slice through the lies. You've granted us the power of your resurrected son by his spirit to live within us. Now we ask you would open our eyes and sharpen our minds to make the choices to trust you as faithful. Somebody's facing a recurring temptation now. A very belligerent, stubborn sin that is intimidating them and telling them you can't win. And I am praying, Lord, for them that they will hear your spirit saying, no, 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 that's a lie. Let it go. Trust me for the forgiveness of sin, the freedom of sin, and then allow me to show you how to be empowered that you grow to be an overcomer who can then be telling your story of victory. Would you receive his forgiveness right now? Lord, I release my sin to you. I give myself to you. I invite you to fill me with your spirit as you promised to do and refresh my soul that your power would fill my life. And perhaps today you're listening and realize that, that Christ is not alive in you. You feel like an empty vessel but he wants to come alive in you. You can receive him right now by faith in your faithful God. Lord Jesus, I open my life to you. I invite you to come into my life to forgive my sin, cleanse me of my sins. And I'm turning from my way to learn to go your way. So I pray you would fill me with your presence and your power so that your plan could be fulfilled in my life. I follow you as my God faithful and true. Thank you for hearing my prayer, for coming into my life. Now lead me in the days ahead. I make these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.